but I have a question for you guys today. Um, what is life about? Like if you had to fill in this blank that's gonna appear on the screen, what would you say life is about? How would you fill in that blank? And you can type it in the comments if you're watching online. What is life about? Do you guys have any suggestions? Caring? Caring? Tacos. Tacos? I like that. Jesus. Jesus, okay. Anybody else? Tacos, Jesus, so far we're winning. <laughs> this is good. Um, well, let me tell you what uh, we have found out through research and through doing life. Life is all about relationships. Life is all about relationships. You knew that one, right? See, and it's not an opinion, but it is a fact. Fact as described in the Harvard Adult Development Study, which has been the longest study ever conducted, in which researchers found that over decades, that relationships were among the most important things keeping people happy and healthy. So if you're doing life, if you're not doing life in a relationship, sorry, this is like really bad feedback, which we're working on it, so um, just trying to help the team out here. Maybe my mic is in the wrong place. Hopefully that's better. Um, but if you're not doing life in a relationship, you're most likely doing life alone. And I want to let you know that that is dangerous. See, the study showed that loneliness kills. And um, it's, they've learned in the study that loneliness and weak social connections have the same impact on mortality than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's wild. And see, should I grab the other mic? No? You guys are figuring out? Okay. Um, um, your, your, your health declines when you are not in a healthy community. And so I want you to try this with me if you're able. Okay. Grab both your hands and put them in front of you, whether you're here in the room or watching online. Okay? Now I want you to put them together like this. Okay? Now I want you to close them up. Now I want you to say this with me. This is the church. This is the steeple. Open the door and see all the people. <laughs> I know that that is such a silly, silly rhyme. But here is my point. Church is made up of people. And see, people are complex beings. So that means that relationships can get complicated, messy, someone said. And since life is all about relationships, I want to propose that church is all about relationships. And see, first, our relationship with Jesus and then the relationship with one another. And this is why our mission here at Evergreen is to love God and to love people. See, it's in a relationship, in this relationship with one another, that offense happens, that hurt takes place, that disagreements arise. 
um, that we discover different political and social and vaccination views, um, right? Church is all about relationships. And so let's go back in history and look at an early church, the first church in Jerusalem that's found in Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through through 47. And for those of you that are joining us for the first time, my name is Ilsian. For those of you that have been here for a long time, my name is still Ilsian. And I'm so glad that you are here today. Um, let's dive in. So Acts 2, verses 40 through through 47. And it says this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. And it goes on to say they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. In each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I've often read that part of scripture, and I think, man, these people, they were like all for one and one for all. They've got community and relationships figured out. Ha. And then theologian William Willeman comments about this passage. He says that eating together is a mark of unity, of solidarity, and deep friendship. It's a visible sign. We see a very visible sign that social barriers, which once plagued these people, were broken down. And we see that. And see, the word fellowship in this verse is this Greek word known as koinonia. And the meaning of that word is communion. It is deep friendship. It is fellowship, sharing, and participation, and partnership. See, it's this idea that sharing together, we are sharing together in a reality that is greater than ourselves and our own individual needs. And as much as I want to think that this church had relationships figured out, a further dive into the book of Acts makes it apparent and very clear that just like you and me, they had a lot. To work out. They did. And um, I, I have been reading this book. Well, I read it last year, but I, I want to remind you of it today. And it's a book called Three Big Questions That Changes Every Teenager. I recommend it, parents, if you've not read it. It's really good if you have teenagers. But the authors say this. They say, God has created us to be a community with God and with others through Jesus. See, Christian community is fundamentally marked by a relational God who is willing to be with us, stinky feet and all. Like, and that's the reality of it. See, Jesus was willing to wash the feet of his disciples. 
And I just assumed this because I grew up with brothers. I had four brothers, and they all loved playing sports. <laughs> and they all had stinky feet. Yeah. And I, I even have stinky feet, I'll admit that. It's just that's the way my family does it, you know? So the stink didn't keep Jesus from loving them. And the stink doesn't keep Jesus from loving us. I love that about Jesus. And it is um, through Jesus that we can be in community with God and with each other. And in John 13, before Jesus gets down and washes the feet of his disciples, he says this. He says he loved them till the very end. See, Jesus was driven by love in his relations, a relationship that is marked by love, driven by love, serves and assumes the posture of humility. And we see it in this example. So when you get close enough to each other and you realize that them toes ain't clipped and that sometimes people's attitudes stink worse than feet that have walked for miles and sweated on dirty, dirty ground. This is the truth that I want you to remember. You were created to be in community, to be in relationship. And see, this faith community that we call Evergreen Christian Center, where you decided to gather today or watch us online, good job, thank you for being here today, we want it to be the best place for relationships. And that is what the church, according to Acts, is supposed to be a place of deep friendship, fellowship, right? That word kainonia, communion, partnership. It's supposed to be that place. So to be that I want to share with you three values that evergreen we live out and that can help us live out this truth. So the first one, if you've been here long enough, you've heard it before, intentional diversity. We connect and engage men and women from diverse generations, ethnicities, and economic contexts. And I would even say we connect and engage Children as well. That is our heart. And one of the realities of the early church is that it was diverse. See, the church in Jerusalem, which is the community we read about in Acts 2, started with incredible, incredible diversity. Because it was the day of Pentecost, which Pentecost means 50th. Okay, it was the 50th day and then uh, from Passover, and it's also known as the Feast of Harvest or the, um, the Day of First Fruits, a day that many Jewish people celebrated. And to celebrate this, they would have traveled from many parts to be there. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, the author Luke lists several countries that people are representing in this space. And he starts off with uh, Parthia, Media, Elam, which were east of the Roman Empire, known as modern Iran. And then we see that he lists westward countries, Mesopotamia, which is modern Iraq and Judea. And then he mentions various provinces in Asia Minor, which is modern Turkey, the Mediterranean, um, sorry, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, North Africa, Egypt, Libya, Cyrene, the Mediterranean island of Crete, 
and Arabs. Do you see the picture that is being painted before us? And we can infer that this list was meant to indicate that people from all over the Roman world um, were present, that they were there in Jerusalem, and 3,000 of those people repented and believed the message of Jesus that day, right? We read about that if we continue reading that, the chapter. And we can also assume that there were people of different socioeconomic backgrounds because we read that people were selling their possessions to meet the need, uh, needs of those that needed it. So that is why we are being intentional about diversity. See, there are parts of you that are yet to be known that can only be drawn out by the people God brings to your life. I remember the first time that I shared breakfast with Carlos. This was before we started dating. This was before we started dating, and it's not because the breakfast was delicious. It was actually the nastiest croissant sandwich I've ever had in my life. Um, but see, at this point, at this point, I was still wondering if I should, uh, if I should say yes to his romantic advances. I, I was still wondering. I wasn't sure. I really wasn't sure if I wanted to do this. And, and what helped me say yes was realizing in that moment while we were having breakfast, I remember thinking, I really like who I am around this guy. I really like what he brings out in me. And then the Lord did the rest. <laughs> we got Carlos in the front row saying amen. <laughs> but see, not only uh, does God allow people in our community to bring out the best in us, he also uses them to show us the parts where we need growth. God uses diverse people, people that are different than us to help us see the prejudices and the biases that we are blind to. And in Acts 6.1, we come across an emotionally charged conflict that arises because of these differences. Let's read in Acts 6, 1. It says, But as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So there it is. It didn't take them long to have conflict. But see, when, when we are intentional about connecting and engaging people, in other words, being in relationship with people that grew up different than we did, that speak an unfamiliar language at times, that approach life with a different perspective than we have, conflict will happen. It's just, it just happens. And even in the way that, that we communicate among generations, like the way um, the, the boomer generation communicates and the millennials and Gen Z, and it's just so different. My, my friend, he shared with me that he had sent a text message to his mom sharing that um, one of his friends had passed away. 
And the message that he got back from his mom shocked him. Because his mom texts him back, LOL. And that usually means in text message, laugh, laugh out loud. So he was like, what? And what his mom thought she was communicating was lots of love. <laughs> lots of love. But to the millennials and Gen Z, LOL does not mean lots of love. And when my friend Karen went on a mission trip to Panama, she shared that one thing that she found really funny to learn was that when he, she was talking to the teenagers in Panama, they would be having conversations and something funny was said and that the teens would be like, oh, que chistoso, so funny, lol, lol. And she was like, what? What, I don't, what's lol? And see, they were pronouncing out the spelling of LOL, laugh out loud. They were saying lol in Spanish. So even in the different languages, we see that the diversity of languages and communication now is different. So there might be conflict. You meant to say one thing, but they understood a different thing, or they're trying to figure out, what are you saying? And so the reality of relationships is that conflict is inevitable. Inevitable. I have a better uh, time pronouncing it in Spanish and in English, so that's why I went with Spanish first. <laughs> it's inevitable. If you're in a relationship and you never have conflict, that's a red flag. See, in the book Good and Beautiful and Kind, author and pastor Rich Veloda says, to be human is to experience conflict. So let's normalize this. Conflict is not a sign of unhealth. It is unhealthy to never have conflict. See, it's not um, if we have conflict. It's when we have conflict. When conflict arises, I'm going to suggest this way that can help us better navigate conflict, and it's our second value. It's honest communication. See, we openly communicate truthful content. It's one of the values that we want to live out. And honest communication is vital for relationships. Honest communication does not avoid conflict. But I know that there are many of us in the room that will do anything to avoid having to deal with conflict. It just doesn't make us feel comfortable. But see, an emotionally healthy discipleship, which was a small groups and a book that we did together as a church last winter, it was awesome. We learned about this thing called clean fighting. And see, it, it, this, this clean fighting offers honesty, the possibility for honesty, integrity, respect, atonement, and healing. And then the opposite of that, which I'm really good at, is dirty fighting, which uses sarcasm, passive aggressiveness, the silent treatment, lecturing, and I'll stop there because the list goes on. See, but I thought, I thought I knew, I knew how to fight clean. I thought, no, I know how to fight clean. I know I'm not supposed to like say everything I think when I'm upset. I know how to fight clean. I know how to communicate honestly, but then I got married. 
and discovered that marriage is a different level of communication and emotion. And then I got pregnant and got all the hormones that come with that. And let's just say it is a whole other level of emotion. And see, by the way, we are having marriage groups start up at the end of the month. So if you're here and you, you are, want to learn about relationships and marriage, we'd love for you to take a part of that. You could go to ecc4.org and sign up. Yep, shameless plug. There you go. See, but I think, I think a lot of the times, instead of trying to understand each other, we judge each other for the way we do things. We judge each other by our Enneagram number, right? We, I, I constantly judge Carlos by the way he loads the dishwasher. I don't know if you do that with your husbands, with your spouses, with your significant others, but we judge. We judge the way they do things instead of staying curious and trying to understand. And see, if we're going to practice honest communication, it means that we listen carefully with an open heart. And see, we have this biblical example of Paul and Peter in Galatians. And see, it, it, it was happening that Peter... Um, because of his hypocrisy, there was tensions between the Gentiles and the Jewish people because of their cultural backgrounds and the way that they, they practiced eating. Um, when, when the Gentiles were around and they invited Peter to come and eat with them, man, Peter, he put his babe on, got ready, took those baby uh, pork back ribs, and he was just munching down. But see, there was foods that the Jewish believers were taught not to eat. And pork was one of those. So then when the Jewish people show up, Peter's like, oh, you know, he like tried to like be like, oh, yeah, we don't, we don't do that. I'm not going to go go eat with those people. And so we read in Galatians that his actions were leading people astray. Because he was trying to say like, no, 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 I'm going to hang out with you when no one else is. But then when the other people show up on him, be like, no, no, you guys are uncircumcised. Shouldn't be eating with you. So there's this conflict. And the loving thing to do that Paul does is Paul confronts him. But also in his confrontation, we learn that the best way to confront and to deal with conflict is face-to-face. -face. It's hard to get emotion through text message and through email. It is better to look at each other, make eye contact, and say, hey, let's talk. And so we see in this example of Peter that he communicates, and it, it, it's good. And sometimes we have to confront the things that need to be confronted. And seeing confrontation is not about you being right or proving a point. It's about it being fueled by love, and the goal is restoration and reconciliation of that relationship. So let the scriptures encourage you in your relationships. Rich Fiotis, yes, I really enjoyed his book, so I'm quoting him today, says that the relationships we see in the scriptures are not a collection of holy people who always love God and neighbor well. It's a collection of severely broken people, sinful people, 
poorly navigating through life and consistently encountering a gracious God. And see, that is also true for us. We are broken. We are sinful. And we are consistently in need of God's grace. So when stress and hurt and conflict show up in our relationships, I want you to hold on to this truth. You were created to be in community and to be in relationship. And that brings us to our third value, which is the value of team. We are better together. Time and time again, we discover that the best championships are won when a team learns to work well with one another. So I want you to turn to the person next to you, or I want you to type in the comments and tell them we are better together. Go ahead and do that. And then turn to the other person. Don't forget the other person on the other side that you ignored the first time. <laughs> we are better together. See, and in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it reminds us of this. It says, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of his body. We are the body of Christ, every single one of us. And see, if I were to cut off my arm, you know what would happen, right? Detached from my body, if I were to isolate it from my body, what would happen? It would die. The blood flow would not get to the tissues and the muscles and everything that my arm needs to move. And so it would die. And see, one of the questions I constantly want to ask my friends when they decide not to be part of a church is, how can we say we love Jesus but give up on his body? See, I know probably like me, you've experienced, most likely you've been hurt by the church. But don't let unforgiveness keep you from the gift of unity that Christ died to give us. Don't let a brother or sister's view of politics or social injustice keep you from unity keep you from his body. See, Jesus' prayer in John 17 was that we would be in unity with him and that we would be in unity with one another. And the enemy of our soul, his goal is to try to isolate us. He will try to isolate you. Sin will isolate you. But I want you to remember that when you are tempted to do life alone, when you are tempted to isolate yourself, to remember this, we are better together. So let me show you. Here's this clip. A buffalo has incautiously strayed away from its herd. It surely can have no defense against a group of lions. But the rest of the herd have noticed. (laughs) 
Faced with the threat of hundreds of tons of massed anger, the lioness turns tail. The male lion, however, seems unwilling to give up. powerful clip. Every time I see that, I'm reminded that there is strength, that there is a supernatural strength that comes from being united to this community of faith. And see, one of my mentors would constantly remind me, he would say, we suffer in isolation, but we heal in community. So we are separated from our faith community, from the body of Christ. We are easy prey for the enemy. I remember there was times in my life where I had a season where I stepped away from the community of faith. And I remember it was so hard for me to come back because all I kept hearing the enemy say to me, you are such a sinner there is no way that God will take you back and he will try to accuse you and he will try to keep you from community because he knows the power that exists when instead of staying behind and alone away from the herd that's what he wants we see it in nature the minute the zebra leaves the herd, that's when the enemy or the predator pounces on it. And the enemy tries to do the same thing with us spiritually. He tries to separate us and isolate us from the community of faith so that he could do what he's known for, devour, kill, and destroy. But I want to encourage you. We are here to encourage one another, to cheer each other on. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 reminds us, it says, let us consider how we may spur one another toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together, as some of you have in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. I'm so glad you're here in person. I'm so glad for those of you joining us online I know that you are doing what you can to be part of this community. But I want to encourage you. Make this a goal for 2023. Stay in community. Encourage one another because we are better together. There's a verse in scripture that says that one person can put to flight 1,000, but two can put to flight 10,000. There is a power that comes from being united with Christ. And I know that there are some of you that are facing difficult moments where you're dealing with a diagnosis, you're dealing with a broken relationships that you, you didn't plan on. This is why we need each other. 
This is what I love to do. I love praying for you because I know that it's not just my prayers, but it's the corporate prayers of all of us coming together and trusting God. But the truth is that we're not very good at repairing relationships with one another. But repairing is a critical skill. Knowing how to confess our mistakes to one another and ask for forgiveness will help us remain with God's people. It will help us remain with God. Kara Powell says the gospel is about the way God empowers people to love one another. And so I want to invite you to allow the Holy Spirit to empower you. To allow him to empower you. Do you close your eyes right where you are? I'm gonna invite you to ask the Holy Spirit what he is saying to you. See, imagine what it would look like for God to bring healing to that relationship that has been broken for far too long. Imagine what it would feel like to let go of that resentment and allow God's healing to bring peace. And with everybody's eyes closed, I wanna remind you that you were created for a relationship and the first relationship is a relationship with God. So if you're here in this room and maybe you've never opened yourself up to a relationship with God, maybe you've never had the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus, I want to invite you today with everybody's eyes closed to make that decision today. To say, I want to be part of something greater than myself. I want to receive the forgiveness that God offers for my sins. So if there's somebody in this room today or if you're watching online and you want to make that decision today to say, yes, I want to be in a relationship with Jesus. That's what Jesus died on the cross for, so that you and I can have relationship with God the Father. So if that's you and you want to make that decision today, would you look up at me so that I can agree with you if you are in the room? Just right where you are, and that way I know, okay, that is, I see you. I agree with you. If there's anybody else, God loves you. He cares for you. He is for you. I see you. I agree with you. If there's anybody else, and if you're online, you can comment or click the link to let us know that you're making that decision. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift of salvation, for the gift of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that when we are tempted, when we are tempted to to isolate ourselves and to be alone and to do life alone, that you would remind us of this truth that Jesus died so that we can be in relationship with you, but also in relationship with one another. 
So Lord, help us. Lord, I pray where there is to steep fractures in relationships, that by your Holy Spirit, you would help us heal. You would help us repair relationships. Lord, we thank you that you've forgiven us so that we can forgive others. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we say, amen, amen.